to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers talking about characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Wendy Hurd, and I'm here with Tori Eldridge, the author of uh, the Lily Wong series. I'm so excited to have you here, Tori. Hey, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, we are huge fans of your books. Uh, so you just released your second book in the series... The Ninja's Blade. Yeah. Ooh, I really love this one. <laughs> well, I love the Ninja Daughter too, but oh, this one's like deep and gritty and yeah, it's cool. So the first book you released was The Ninja Daughter. That was your debut, right? Correct. Yeah, and it then sure was. You just came out with The Ninja's Blade and there's a third book in the works, right? Yeah, I'm busy writing it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully uh, next next fall, maybe. Oh, well, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about these two books that you have out so far? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, this part of the Lily Wong series. And Lily Wong is a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja in Los Angeles with Joy Luck Club family issues. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, in the first book, Lily is battling, oh, my gosh, the Ukrainian mob and sex traffickers and her own Hong Konger mother, to save the lives of two women and an innocent child. And she gets uh, caught up in a very complicated uh, conspiracy while she's, you know, negotiating just life as a 25-year-old adult. But the thing about Lily is, like I said, she's 25, but back when she was first year in UCLA, her younger sister was raped and murdered. And uh, that motivated Lily to change her life. The police were unable to find this guy and she dropped out of her life, basically dropped out of UCLA. And she had been studying wushu since she was a little tiny kid and all through college. But she had also been training in ninjutsu on the sly with this Japanese sensei in a park. And so when this tragedy happened, she devoted herself to actually becoming a very assertive modern day ninja and protector of women and children in her city, a big sister to a city, if you will. And so that's her character. She lives above her North Dakota Norwegian father's authentic Chinese restaurant. Yeah, you have to read the book to figure that one out. And yeah, and she's got this real high-powered, intense uh, Hong Konger immigrant mother. And, you know, so unlike a lot, uh, you know, unlike the trope, right? You know, she isn't a loner. Her family wasn't wiped out. She's not on the war path. She's not doing a John Wick because her dog was, you know, <laughs> she's right there dealing with how to be an adult with parents, you know, you know how you remember how that was in a very volatile time in her life, dealing with a lot of unearned guilt and grief and a very complicated family background. And at the same time, she's working for this women's shelter and uh, taking on these really hard cases. So that's the first book. Mm -hmm. And the second book, The Ninja's Blade, takes place three weeks after the end of The Ninja Daughter. It's a standalone, so you don't have to read them uh, in order. That's, that's okay. fine. Uh, but um, the end of The Ninja Daughter 
it ended with a lot of excitement and a fair amount of violence. And I have opinions about violence in entertainment. I, you know, too often the, the hero especially does all of this stuff and they just skate mm-hmm. through, you know, yeah. like, it, like it didn't even touch them emotionally. Right. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I don't buy that at all. I mean, to no. me, yeah, right. You know, it, whether violence is done to you, by you or around you, it has an impact, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it should. Yeah, that's what I think. So at the beginning of The Ninja's Blade, Lily's kind of, she's kind of messed up, actually. <laughs> she's been, she's been suffering a lot of what her employer is trying to convince her are PTSD symptoms. And of course, yeah. you know, Lily is not having that. Uh, <laughs> and and so she's got a lot of things going on that are causing her to self-question, that are causing her to have these flashbacks at inopportune times. And so there, there are these issues that come up regarding, um, you know, racial profiling and inequity in the city. And what happens is Lily meets this um, prostituted teenager who has come out of the life and she ends up getting abducted. So Lily is called upon to find her, find this kidnapped prostitution victim. And in the course of this, she also runs into some other uh, teenagers who are at risk and ends up hunting for another missing teenager and gets sucked into the tragic and very dangerous world of commercial sex trafficking in Los Angeles. And so she's dealing with this. She's dealing with her own uh, PTSD. She's dealing with some, you know, really gritty themes and issues. But at the same time, (laughs) her adorable meddlesome grandparents are in from Hong Kong for her mother's 50th birthday bash to, you know, make her mother just a living misery. So there's that amusement. And Daniel Kwok is back. So somehow in the middle of all of this, there's a bit of romance. I think you do such a great job of balancing that darkness with, uh, with like humor and with, you know, family dynamics. Uh, otherwise, you know, as I, you and I both go through this in our books, like it can be so dark, so dark, so dark and just be a bummer, you know? So I think you do like such a great job of, of balancing all that with so much character development and all this really interesting family development and funny moments. Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, ultimately I'm really all about empowering and uplifting. I, I write some other dark fiction. And even when I'm going dark, 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 um, I'm still thinking about uh, empowering the spirit and kind of expanding perception. And so it's very important to me that there is this balance. And also because I think there's that balance in life, you know, and that's, yeah. that's what makes Lily so, I hope, charming and interesting. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, I mean, I guess, okay, I know you get asked about this. We actually have done a podcast together before. Funny enough, I interviewed you on someone else's podcast. Remember that? I do. That was so much fun. (laughs) So it's funny because I'm like, I'm not recycling questions, but I do think that because my listeners might not have heard all of uh, your backstory and everything, um, you're coming at this, you know, being a martial artist, you know, with that background yourself. That's true. I draw a lot from my life for this series. 
Um, I hold a fifth degree black belt in Toshindo Ninja Martial Arts. Um, I also got my start in Tong Sudo, which is a Korean karate, and kickboxing and ground fighting. And I did some private training in Wushu, Spear, and Bow, which is a long staff, which uh, are my favorite weapons. And so I have a very broad background in martial arts. And so it's very important to me to bring that kind of authenticity. I can, I can say that everything Lily Wong does in this book, I've either taught, um, done, uh, witnessed or researched, you know, and so it's very important to me that that authenticity comes through. I've also lived in Los Angeles for over 35 years, and the first two books are set in Los Angeles. And then, of course, there's the common heritage. Lily's mother is an immigrant from Hong Kong, and her father is Norwegian from North Dakota. And my father was Norwegian from North Dakota, and my mother was Chinese Hawaiian from Maui, and they met and married in Tokyo, where my sisters were born, and then moved to Honolulu, where they had me. So these these three cultures are very um, important to me. And then add to that, that the ninja arts are a Japanese art. And so these three cultures are also so very important to Lily. And so that was something that I, I really wanted to, to bring. It's a very unusual thing to have a Chinese Norwegian ninja. That's not especially a woman. This is not something you, you think about. And you certainly don't think of it in terms of modern day in Los Angeles. You know, people hear ninja and they think, oh, sensationalized historical fiction, fantasy, flying assassins. And yeah, no, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Let me ask you, this is off topic from our topic today, which is vengeance, but I just am curious, what would you say is uh, one of the main things that people get wrong about when they think of ninjas? Oh, well, um, you know, they're, they think that they're magical assassins. And of course, back in feudal Japan, many of them were assassins. They did a lot of infiltration and um, their techniques are so, I should say our techniques, but their techniques back then um, and ours now are so stealth-like that they really can appear magical. And there's a whole esoteric uh, you know, um, component involving Tendai Buddhism and you know, uh, certain practices that also add to that mysticism. But when we're talking about modern day ninja, I mean, I'm talking about martial arts practitioners who are devoting their lives to training in this art and learning this history and for the most part doing it in order to make the world a better place. And so that's what I wanted to bring. Um, are there a lot of female ninjas? Oh, yeah, there are. Yeah, <laughs> there really are. We're called Kunoichi. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and, you know, not nearly as many as there are men, but, you know, I mean, we're all over the world and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if your listeners knew of a ninja, male or female, you know, uh, at least six degrees, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I'm sure there are many in your city. Well, you know, we share a city, so I, well, there's we many share in our the, city. <laughs> the most ridiculous city. So there is uh, at least 12 of everything here. <laughs> oh, there's a lot Literally more than 12 ninja in LA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love that this was set in LA. I love that. I love that you're writing in LA and it's been so nice getting to know you that you're, we're both in LA and having another writer 
close by. It's really nice. It really is. It's so nice. So much fun. And by the way, the first time I ever heard about you uh, was Lane telling me that she had seen, I think, a badass chick or some similar phrase at a co- at one of the conferences talking about her favorite knives. Oh my and gosh, it was VoucherCon. Like, <laughs> she was like, Wendy, you've got to meet this lady. She was talking about her favorite knives. I just, I can't explain to you how cool she is. You've got to meet her. She's in LA. You've got to make sure to meet her. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then <laughs> that's how I, that's how I ultimately began to hear who you were. Oh my gosh. That, that <laughs> panel was so much fun. It was last year and I was on this panel and we had gotten early copies of the Ninja Daughter. The Ninja Daughter wasn't going to drop for, I think, uh, five days. But um, the bookseller at BoucherCon, it was Murder by the Books, managed to get a box, you know, uh, in advance. And my panel was at 11 o'clock, I think, on the very first day of BoucherCon. And within 15 minutes of the end of that panel, the entire box was sold out. I was, so awesome. I was the first book they sold out of, and yeah. I hadn't even released yet. <laughs> That's so rad. So what is your favorite kind of knife? Ooh, well, uh, I've really kind of, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I've really uh, kind of fallen in love with this knife that I've chosen for Lily, which is a 599 Fox Karambit Emerson Wave. And what's, you know, I've got one right here. I'm going to hold it and stare at it. It's so pretty. Um, the thing that's really cool about it is the blade. It's shaped like a talon. And this particular one is black instead of silver. And it's got also this security ring on the end where you can slip a pinky finger um, or your index finger, depending on whether you're holding it in a forward or a reverse grip. And one of the things that's really great about that is um, maybe you've noticed this when using a knife in the kitchen and uh, maybe you're trying to stab through like a squash or a cantaloupe or something like that. And if you're not careful, or if your hand is wet, the hilt of the blade can slide in your hand. And there's a chance of your hand sliding onto the blade and cutting yourself. It's actually a very dangerous thing about knives. Well, the nice thing about a security ring is when you put your finger through this, it prevents your hand from sliding. And of course, you know, when things get bloody, that's really handy. Blood is very... uh it's very sticky. It's very slippery. This is all important. Yeah. I think it's really rather to keep our, to keep our eyes on the prize here. It really is. And here's the other thing. I mean, Lily doesn't go around LA with a katana strapped to her back. People have actually asked me about this and I said, no, she's a modern day ninja. You, you can't like, you know, walk into, you know, somebody's office with a katana on your back. So she has to have a weapon that is legal. And so this blade is under three inches. So it's actually uh, legal to carry it. So that's an important component, you know, to keep in mind that she is a modern day ninja in Los Angeles and she has to blend in and function in this city today, you know. I'm looking online at the knife and I think I found it, but I think (laughs) for sure this episode is going to need to feature a picture of this knife. That's just important. So I'm going to need to make sure that I have the right one. Okay. Because people are going to want to see this knife. Awesome. So I also notice um, that you talk, you talk online a lot about self-defense. You even do little like 
uh, tips and tricks videos on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, so as far as self-defense, do you have any, like we have a mostly female uh, listenership, right? Mostly women are listening. Do you have any, like, um, if you could tell every woman something, is there, are there any like self-defense tricks or self-defense tips that you would tell every woman if you could? Sure. Let's say here, uh, number one, trust your gut, Try not to uh, second guess yourself. It's a real female thing, right? We, we are constantly second guessing ourselves. I did this once in college. I was going up a staircase. This guy was coming down the staircase, middle of the night, nobody around. I saw somebody in the distance. Thank goodness. I had this terrible feeling. I turned around and sure enough, this guy had crossed to my side of the stairs and was charging up at me. Whoa. Yeah, right? And there had been rapes on the campus. And so- I yelled for this person I saw in the distance. But even as I did that, part of me was doubting and thinking, oh, I don't, I don't want to make a fool of myself or I don't want to, you know, what if I'm wrong? Uh, fortunately, my gut took over and this scream came out of me so loud that the guy fell. And oh, then, wow. he, yeah, he he just fell on the stairs and, it, and then he scrambled to his feet and it was all apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I scare you? And he goes tearing off over the plaza. And of course, now I'm pissed and I go running after him. Yes, you scared me, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I watch him run down the stairs and get into an idling car and drive away. Wow. He had it sitting there waiting. Yeah. With somebody in the car with him. Right. You wow. know, but through all this, even after that, I doubted what had happened. So I would say first and foremost, trust your gut and try and just stuff that self-doubt away. Secondly, use your voice. Um, use your voice, yell at that person, tell them, stop, tell them, no, yell for somebody, scream, whatever, uh, be commanding, use your voice. You would be amazed at how important a voice can be. Um, and I think maybe the, the last thing, uh, I'm just trying to think of something, you know, general, which is it, if somebody grabs you, chokes you, uh, anything like that, don't waste your time trying to get them off of you. Attack. You have two free hands. Their hands are in use holding onto you or choking you. They don't have any more hands. You've got two free hands. Instead of trying to pry their hands off of you, attack. Attack by slapping their ears, stabbing into their eyes, up into the nostrils, raking their gums. You've also got legs, knees, you know, kick into groins, stomp onto feet. Um, you know, so yeah, attack. Okay, so best places oh, to attack. and run. You know, and after run. that, run. Get the heck out of town. Like the second they get their hands off, you run. Oh, you or the betcha. second they loosen their grip. You betcha. Yeah, the, the sooner you can get out of there, the faster, that, the better that is for you. you. You don't want to stay in there. Okay. This is all very helpful. And I, I think also, <laughs> I think everyone's like taking little notes. Like, yeah. So, okay, eyes, <laughs> nostrils. I had never heard nostrils. Oh, yeah. Interesting thing. Here's a funny thing. If you put... Um, your index finger under uh, somebody's nose and you push up and back, they okay. will go that way. 
Uh, oh, really? Even a big guy, they, they cannot resist the pressure underneath the nose. It's an interesting thing. So palm up under the nose, not only will it deviate the septum, it will knock the head back. But it's an interesting thing. But yeah, you know, fingernails up the nostrils, uh, fingernails on the gums. There's almost nothing more painful than that. Interesting. It's so darn painful. Yeah. I would be worried about them biting me. Oh, yeah. That's why you don't want to put your fingers in their mouth, in between right. their teeth, you know, just right up under the gums. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that is very helpful. Thank you. Oh, hey, sure. I, re- <laughs> I think one time someone told me that this this one always stuck with me, which was um, if someone's trying to get you into a car, with they, even if they have a gun, like it's better to be shot in the street than be in the car. Oh, you betcha. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, no question whatsoever. Because, um, you know, if they're forced to shoot you in the street, um, the odds of them then trying to wrestle you in their car for some, you know, nefarious purpose, next to nothing. Not only that, they have now, you know, drawn attention to whatever's happening. And the odds of somebody coming by who can help you are much greater. But the moment somebody gets you into their car, you are completely at their mercy, unless you can somehow miraculously get out of their car. But, you know, once you're in there, the things that they can do to you and, and, Clearly, you know, they're, they're trying to take you away from any kind of help Mm -hmm. and you want to be where there's some kind of help. And the other thing is just because you're shot, it doesn't mean you're going to die. Yeah. You know, you got to get that in your head, you know, being shot does not equate dying. So yeah, definitely don't get in that car. Well, this is very helpful, you know, um, (laughs) Seriously, I I really appreciate you you telling us about these things because you know it's it's very empowering. I know that's important to you, and I just think everyone appreciates these these uh, sort of guiding, you know, tips and tricks. By the way, uh, Tori's Instagram is writer Tori. That's like writer as in writing, and then Tori is T O R I. So if you want to go follow her and uh, look for those tips and tricks, I've seen you post those pretty often. Yeah, and I think you'll find them on the IGTV, so you don't necessarily okay. have to go scrolling through, you know, all yeah. the different pictures. Although the pictures are super fun, and you'll definitely run across some videos now, in there. Is the guy that you practice on is that your spouse? Do you oh, like no. take your spouse out to the woods and attack him to show people? <laughs> no, not at all. He was actually a a private student of mine for a long time. He was a CHP officer and a former. Uh, I think he was in the army and uh, yeah, he was a private student of mine and uh, a great training partner for many, many, many years. And so uh, he takes abuse very well. And and he was just a a real good sport about, uh, you know, meeting me in the woods and letting me beat on him. I'll never forget you telling me that occasionally you'd be in the middle of writing and you'd jump up and go to your spouse who also works from home and be like, Hey, real quick, let me uh, put you in this hold and him being like, (laughs) Fine. <laughs> yeah, like, honey, can I borrow your neck? Um, those kinds of requests used to be um, not well received when I was training and teaching because they usually involved a certain amount of pain. But now that I'm just writing and I'm just kind of, you know, looking at, you know, placement and how to describe things, he's a lot more amenable. Oh, <laughs> so, Okay. So our topic this month is uh, revenge. Oh, and, right. We have a topic. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and we're t- the top, well, it does, you know, and it's, 
it's very uh, appropriate though, because one of the things I thought you would be an interesting person to talk to about was this sort of recurring theme in crime fiction about um, revenge and sexual assault. You know, we see it over and over again. Uh, it shows up in your Lily Wong books because obviously it's something that happens to so many women and it's just such a huge uh, pervasive piece of our culture. And I think it's probably one of the things that makes uh, women feel most powerless. And it's also probably like the least, uh, maybe people feel like there's so little justice, right? There's so little, you know, few cases that are actually solved, prosecuted appropriately, you know? And so I think it's a place where crime fiction authors, you know, especially women, we really like, we have some things to say about it. You know, we write about it, something that we like to talk about. So I don't know. I was just curious. Um, we've also talked about when men do it badly, right? Like sometimes mm. <laughs> it can just be handled like so clumsily. Um, and so I guess I just wanted to hear your thoughts like about the place of sexual assault in crime fiction and maybe any uh, thoughts you have or I think you handle it really well. Do you have any guidance on this, et cetera? Uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, one of the big cautions and one of the things that I don't like is when it's portrayed in a way that is titillating in, in any way. And so uh, when you're describing a scene like that, and I, by the way, I don't generally do that in my books, but if you are describing a scene like that, you have to be very careful that there isn't anything about the way in which you're describing that is um, uh, provocative, you know? I mean, the last yeah. thing that I want to do is, I mean, what I what I want the reader to feel is the jeopardy, the the trauma, the horror, right? I don't want them looking at it from the outside in at, in any possible way of, you know, being, you know, sexy or, you know, yeah. whatever. You know, no, 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 no. This this is this is an attack and it's brutal and it's horrifying. And so these are the the emotions that come through. I have actually only written one such scene and it was in the ninja daughter and it happens pretty early on and it's a case of something that's happening um, to Lily. And of course, you know that she's the heroine of a series and you know that you just spent scenes with her. And so, you know, she's fine. Right. So yeah. that, that's something else that is, um, I really want the readers to be able to trust me with their emotions that, that I'm going to, I'm going to push it and I'm going to give them a visceral, you know, emotional connection to something, but I'm not going to abuse that. And I'm not going to manipulate them with that. And I think uh, there's a great temptation uh, in authors and movie makers and, you know, television directors and whatever to, to do that sort of thing. And so that's something I'm very, very careful about. So here's a quick question for you, because I, I, I've heard this phrase uh, that I, I find interesting, which is that a villain is sometimes a hero who's gone too far, right? Hmm. And, you know, like uh, you had a good idea and then you took it way too far. Or, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I kind of got yeah. started thinking about like villains and revenge because I realized that both heroes and villains are often both motivated by revenge. But there are some types of revenge or there's some things that make a hero and there's some things that make a villain. 
And I find that really interesting, right? Because it's like, for example, murdered parents, that's used as motivation and, you know, revenge plotting for heroes and villains. So I kind of find that interesting. Like, is can you see any way that Lily could have also been a villain if she had taken it too far? Lily uh, is going through a huge amount of angst in The Ninja Daughter, and she gets uh, tied into this enigmatic assassin. And he's, um, hmm, he's, he's pretty horrifying. He's very, he's also very engaging and uh, complicated and cold. And so she sees in him a dark side and a cautionary example of what she could be. And so throughout the Ninja Daughter, she is continually checking in with that and questioning that. And the beginning of the Ninja's Blade brings that home even farther, where she's really, you know, walking that line and trying to trying to check in with herself. And in the Ninja's Blade, she even has a, a a conversation with her sensei. The chapters with her sensei are some of my favorites. He is, he's such an incredible teacher and the wisdom uh, he imparts on her is just, uh, it's really profound. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, um, they talk about is the difference between being a warrior and being a killer. And, and that's something that, that she has to, she has to cope with. But Lily herself is not um, a vigilante out for revenge. Uh, she did uh, troll and hunt for her sister's uh, killer. Uh, and that ended a certain way. But it wasn't with the uh, goal of seeking revenge it was because the police couldn't find him and everything that she does um you know she she does kill a couple people here and there i got to admit but it's all in self defense or because it's required to protect somebody so she is she has a very strong sense of morality in in that regard where she can't just uh, you know, kill somebody, no matter no matter what they've done, no matter how horrible they are. She can't, she's not an assassin. She's not like, you know, this other guy from the Ninja Daughter. But at the same time, she's very aware of the things that, that she does and the danger of that. And, you know, being being who she is and somebody who is constantly checking in with herself and checking on herself and also being in her 20s, which is a huge time of self-questioning. Uh, she is always uh, touching, touching base with this. I think it's really interesting that you're talking about, you know, you're like, it's not necessarily revenge. It's just, you know, she wants to, it sounds like you're almost like, almost like she wants to tie up a loose end. She wants to, to save other future women from being victimized the same way. You know, she wants to solve this, have justice so that she can move on kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, well, when it came to her sister, I mean, this, this was a perpetrator out there who hadn't been discovered, you know? So, so the goal, right. Was to find him and, you know, tell the police and, you know, justice and all that kind of stuff. It it didn't quite end that way. Um, As far as what she does now for a living, 
she is she's a protector. So she extracts and rescues and protects women and children from violent situations. She is not a dispenser of justice. The villain version of her might be might have started out the same way, but then have developed a taste for that type of revenge and move forward dispensing with people as much as possible. You know what I mean? Like going ahead and searching out uh, potential victimizers and dispensing with them almost in a sort of uh, enjoying it kind of way. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had the, the uh, dirty, hairy kind of, you know, uh-huh. characters that, you know, do tend to do that. And that's really true. I mean, Lily is very fortunate in that, again, she has this amazing teacher. See, and, and so, and this, now this really relates to my own ninja training because the art of the ninja, we, all the techniques that we do and the strategies and the concepts involved in physical combat all equate to emotional interactions, uh, mental acuity, uh, spiritual stability. And so, you know, I've had people ask me, oh, so have you ever had to use your ninja training in real life? And my answer to that is I use it every day because I use my ninja training to create a harmonious environment. I choose it. I use it to change energy, energy between people. I do it to uh, maintain a positive and empowered perception of life and to uh, stay on a mindful and positive track. I use it every single day, just not necessarily in combat. But all of that is a huge part of what being ninja is. And so that is something that's conveyed in the book. And, and that, I think, more than anything, is Lily's saving grace. This is what makes her such a a deep and a, in many ways, wise um, and vulnerable young woman. Obviously, your love for it shines through. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about it. Oh, well, I enjoy it. it. It, you know, it's something, even though I stopped training and teaching, uh, oh gosh, nine and a half years ago, it's not something that ever leaves you. It, it is who I am. Uh, it informs who I am as much as my heritage does. And so, yeah, it's, it's very important to me. I don't really think I could separate it, you know, and say, oh, I, I got this from that and this from here. It, it's just all intertwined at this point. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think uh, this has been just a fascinating interview and I really encourage uh, listeners to go out and purchase uh, those two books, The Ninja Daughter and The Ninja's Blade. And congratulations on this new release. Oh, thanks so much. I, I'm really, I'm really excited for it. And you know, right now I'm a little on pins and needles because The Ninja Daughter is nominated for an Anthony Award and McCavity oh Award. Oh, yeah, yeah, for best debut and best first mystery. So uh, that's going to be announced at Boutracon in, I oh guess, a week or two. So that's kind of exciting. And, uh, you know, kind of. Yeah, a little bit, you know. And, and of course, I'm still in the throes of, you know, book launch uh, sparkles. And so <laughs> that's so much fun. But, you know, if you go to my website, ToriEldridge.com, there's like tons of, you know, content in there and super fun stuff on the book club page. And, and of course, there's even videos of me in action. So, you know, 
that's fun. So check it out. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.